Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Chad Erbshot. Uh, Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. Thanks, Glenn, for having me on the show. Uh, so I'm a real estate investor, been one since about 2006, 2007 era. Um, started off by investing in single family rentals. Um, actually, they were leased options, for, well, rent owns. Yep. Uh, did, a, did a number of those. Uh, then I got into student apartment investing. Um, after buying a few of those, I realized I didn't really want to own animal houses any longer, <laughs> even <laughs> though they were terrific cash flow. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I should back up and say I'm uh, actually a civil engineer, structural engineer originally. So I worked for a number of construction companies back in my corporate days. Yeah. And uh, one of them I worked for, we uh, we did design builds. And so that, that kind of led me into doing some commercial development. Uh, so I did a couple of commercial development. Um, and all along the way, um, I think it was like 2012-ish, uh, I was heading down to... I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's, if it's even still around anymore. But the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. They used to hold a, an annual conference up at the uh, exhibition center. Uh, it was up by the airport. It was. Yeah. Um, but one year they had it downtown at the uh, underneath the CN Tower. I can't remember the exact uh, name, but the Metro Center, I guess. So I was heading down there for a friend of mine, a fellow uh, real estate investor, and. Um, he said to me on the way down, he said, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really thinking about investing in the U.S. This is back in 2012. He said, you know, such great deals down there. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the rents that you can get for these places are just astronomical. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, how do you expect to manage something from like 2,000 miles away in a different country? Like, I have problems managing stuff from two hours away. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, in any event, we get to the, the conference and, um, there was a bunch of vendors there, not a bunch, maybe a handful of vendors that were U.S. based and that were, were touting, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, real estate properties. Yep. And that in a couple of sessions and I was just blown away at exactly what he said. Like the rent to price ratios were just like out, out of this world like, compared to what you can get to can like, well, Even yep. back in 2012, the rents here um, compared to the prices that you're paying were, were still pretty crazy. They're even crazier now. But um yeah, I just couldn't believe you can get a fifty thousand dollar property and nine hundred dollars a month in rent. So, um, so I, I was kind of hooked on the U.S. real estate at that point. And in uh, two thousand, yeah, I guess around that time frame, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, um, I just made the plunge and uh, started investing down in Florida. And um, it's been a long road since then, but uh, here I am today, and we can talk a bit, bit more about what uh, what we do. So. Yeah, so uh, just to jump into Florida, just briefly, what were you doing in Florida? Like single family homes? What was your sort of game in Florida? Yeah, so the first uh, couple deals were um, just trying to buy rentals. And yep. um, after buying a couple, um, and as you well know, um, it's hard to get mortgages down there. It was, it was like pr practically non-existent back then. Like not even U.S. citizens were getting mortgages that time frame. Um, so after buying a couple, I was like, oh, that's, that's really smart. Now I'm out of money and I have like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything else kind of thing. And um, that's when I, uh, and it was also starting to get really heated at that point. Like even back to 2012, 2013, um, you know, the economy was starting to pick back up. Real estate market was starting to pick back up and the deals were, it was hard to find deals. Like, you know, multiple bidding offers on um, almost anything and everything. So I stumbled upon buying from, from 
foreclosure auctions. And I basically just set myself out to learn that business and figure out how to buy from auctions. And um, that was the, the only place where I could find really good deals at that point in time. So that's kind of how I cut my teeth and kind of like jumped into the deep end with no paddle. <laughs> and uh, <just laughs> definitely uh, learned uh, what, what not to do very quickly in that business. So um, yeah, that was the, wasn't exactly the, I wouldn't say the smartest way, but it was, you know, when you're starting to invest in a different country, yeah, not knowing anything about uh, that side of the business, it was definitely a, a learning experience. So. We weren't planning on going this direction at all, but like the the foreclosure auctions probably just piqued a whole bunch of interest. Um, were you doing like online auctions or in-person auctions? Um, so they were like the traditional courthouse auctions, yep. like not, not REOs that you buy on auction.com or yep. um, all that. It was um, like literally at the courthouse, but in Florida, especially everything's online anyway. So yep. you could bid from, from anywhere. So I'd actually hired this consulting firm that um, they, they kind of, they did it by proxy, I guess if you want to call it that. So they would uh, act on your behalf and pick out, you know, the, the properties that met, you know, certain criteria and or you give them their, your criteria and they would uh, go ahead and uh, kind of like bid um, on your behalf, but it was all online. So you could see exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can follow along. Um, so uh, yeah, after doing a few of those, realizing that this consulting firm didn't really know what they're doing either. I, I think I was <laughs> yeah. kind of like a guinea pig. Um, I decided like, well, I think I could probably figure this all out on my own. So the biggest problem was, you know, figuring out the titles, you know, doing the title searches and making sure you're not bidding on a second mortgage or an HOA lien, which are, you know, quite prevalent in Florida. Um, and if you are bidding on a first lien mortgage, making sure that there's nothing else that, uh, is going to survive the foreclosure. So one of the first ones we bought through this company, they um, they missed a whole whack of uh, code enforcement liens, like into the tens of thousands. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a little bit gut wrenching. Which didn't know about these until so this this property in particular, I'm pretty sure we uh, we wholesaled it and um, didn't know about these uh, code infractions until the day where the day before it was about to resell to. Uh, an, an additional buyer um yeah so that was a bit of an eye-opener so how much uh, like if you don't mind me asking how much of like violations did they have so this is a okay i guess we weren't planning on going down this alley, no i know we weren't we had just no intention of going talking foreclosures so, but it's so interesting <laughs> yeah so I, I call this place the uh, the puppy mill so this was like a really nice um was it i don't think it was a I'm thinking it was a townhouse, but no, I think it was a single detached, but it was in the uh, gated community. Yeah. Like the houses were kind of close together. So it was in a, an area of Miami, like a pretty nice area of Miami. Yeah. And even though it was gated, it was kind of like unmanned gated. So you're still allowed to have access. So I had uh, that company. So they would do the drive-bys, all these properties too. So it looked like, you know, really nice property from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> however and we had to evict the uh the occupant um so that you know that was like a two three month process um but once we got into the place it was like nothing i like had ever seen before um i've seen a lot of since then but um at that time i was just like wow i can't believe this so the the people that were living in it were raising dogs in the property and there was 
dog cages throughout, well, the cages weren't there anymore, but you could see the imprints of the cages and the imprints were left over from the urine and the feces that were surrounding it. Yeah, it was, it was a, quite a disaster. We had to actually rip out all the flooring, some of the yeah. stuff flooring, cut out some of the drywall around the edges just because it was like just Gross, so straight yeah. through. And yeah. this, this uh, place was um, 10 years old, maybe. Like it was like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> like it was a 50-year-old. Should not be old. in that condition, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, exactly. So um, so the story goes, the uh, person that was living there, the, the, the homeowner, selling these dogs all throughout the city and he was getting nabbed with uh um not having a business license not having some kind of like uh i guess he need some kind of a veterinarian license or not a veterinarian license we needed some sort of a license to sell dogs oh, yeah. didn't have any of these things so these these fines all got attached to him and they ended up getting attached to the property so they weren't like code enforcement fines per se they were more I don't know the 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 company that uh, that I was using this consulting company they they like never even seen these before yeah. and they didn't come through the typical code enforcement channel they came through the animal services division so yeah. didn't know to check for those so if memory serves the fines were something like twenty eight thousand dollars oh yeah. and they yeah. and somehow that got tied to the property rather than the person eh yeah yeah so the the guy disappeared and you know so they couldn't track him down so they just packed him out of the property so I ended up having to hire an attorney and um we got them down quite significantly but it was you know they weren't going to forgive all of them which was a, a bit of a burn but um yeah we ended up uh, getting it down like you know by 20,000 I can't remember exactly what we ended up paying it was still anyway yeah still in the thousands but I wasn't very happy about it in any event you know and then plus we had to pay an attorney to uh, like them on our behalf but the so that was kind of my foray uh, into foreclosures. Um, yeah, there's a few others where you know, we took back and you just you walk into these places, you're just like, wow, I can't believe these people <laughs> live like this. Like it's just it's astronomical. So um, the ones that were vacant were okay generally yeah. because the bank would typically clean them out. But the ones that were occupied and we had to, well, you know, the odd one would leave on their own accord, but we, you know, we had to do the the, uh, the odd eviction here and there. But those are the ones that just ended up being total disasters because they leave they leave the entire their like belongings behind, and um, yeah, a lot of them are hoarders and what have you. So yeah, so, yeah, that kind of took me into mortgage investing nowadays. But we can get into that in a minute after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so. Like for people, I think we've talked a little bit about foreclosures on the thing. So a lot of times you don't get to see these properties, the inside beforehand, right? Um, right. Especially if you're buying it online from Canada, you won't see it at all. Um, right. But usually if you, especially if you go to like auction.com, which I have a horror story I can tell, but I'm not going to do it on the show, but uh, I didn't buy it, but I, I put, I passed on a property that went to foreclosure.com someone else paid full price for it and they have no idea what they're getting <laughs> i got it in pre-foreclosure so it but anyway um <clears throat> but a lot of what people don't realize a lot of times you don't get to see these properties you're not touring them like you're on television on the hgtv and walking no. through these properties a lot of times you're you're not supposed to go look in the windows i know some people you know find their way over there but you're kind of yeah. taking a, a stab at this <laughs> yeah so yeah, when you're exactly. when you're looking for yours i know when um 
uh, when I had Katie Ross on, he was talking about a lot of times he's just looking for like brick houses. So he knows he at least has something. Is there, was there something you were looking for when you're, what your criteria to find a foreclosure? Um, more, it was, I was more concerned about at what price we could get it at. That, that was my main criteria. If we can get it at like a certain percentage of what to, the after repair value was, I didn't really have a specific criteria. It was, you know, up to a certain price point. Um, stay out of, the, you know, the really uh, shoddy areas of um, South Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So stay away from bad areas, you know, up to a certain price point and, um, you know, call it your maximum allowable bid or whatever, just staying yeah. underneath that. And, um, you know, the, the market was really starting to pick up at that point. So it was pretty easy to uh, turn around and resell it or, um, or rehab it and sell it again. So, yeah, there, there was no nothing really all that scientific. It was just you know, it's just yeah. hard to find a deal, and you can turn around <laughs> and flip it. And that was a few years ago. So, what kind of price points? I know, like South Florida, Miami is very expensive right now. What, yeah. what, what kind of purchase price ranges were you kind of in? Um, probably, probably everything under I would say like under three hundred thousand dollar after repair value. So we're paying between. 150, 200, kind of yeah. in that price range, uh, up yeah. to that point, you know, anything up to that and underneath. So, yeah, you know, that is a good spot, especially for flipping, and you uh, you have a little bit less competition than the really cheap stuff, right? So, no. yeah, well, it's interesting you say uh, competition. So, it was back in like 2013. Well, right around that time is when all the hedge funds moved in. Yeah. And they came in and just started buying everything. And, you know, they're buying them by the thousands. And they were paying like basically retail prices. So a, a house next door it was worth three hundred grand, and this one that could up being a end up being a puppy mill, um, yeah. you know, opposed to paying two hundred thousand for it, they would pay like two eighty, two ninety, like almost retail. So yeah, yeah, that happened in fairly short order. I'm like, I, I can't believe like all these properties are selling for such astronomical, ridiculous amounts. And uh, that's kind of when I that was about into two thousand fourteen, fifteen. That's when I stumbled upon the fact that you could actually buy the mortgage prior to it getting to the foreclosure. So I was working with this uh, group um, in uh, South Florida, or well, I guess they're mostly all over Florida, but they're based out of South Florida. Um, it was just a fairly fortunate circumstance that I, uh, and kind of long story how I met this yeah. group, but um, they were managing a fund um, out of New York that it was like a half a billion dollar fund that bought these mortgages prior to the going foreclosure for non-performing notes. And uh, so they were managing all the assets in Florida for them. And so like after getting, so the, how I worked with them is I, uh, we were buying stuff from uh, just off the MLS as well and auction.com, you know, the REO yep. properties from the banks. Yep. And they, they actually had some good leads to some REO properties with banks, what have you. So we would buy them and then, uh, using their crew to uh, fix the properties up and um, yeah, just starting to learn exactly what they did exact uh, for this, this hedge fund um, out in New York, which, you know, like I said, had like a half a billion under management. Yeah. Um, that was when I was like, Oh wow, you can actually buy these before the mortgages before it got to foreclosure. Cause I, I had no idea how the process worked. I just knew that, you know, once a bank uh, started foreclosing on, a borrower, you know, the bank would either take it back or it got sold at auction and got in, it went to someone else. And if the bank yeah. took it back, it became an REO. Um, so that was like the epiphany moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can buy these from the banks and not have to worry about bidding at auction anymore and competing with hedge funds. Like it, it's like 
it was like a, an epiphany. And so I was like, man, I, I really got to start learning more about uh, this side of the business. And um, yeah, yeah so, back so at this point, you're you're buying the the mortgage instead of the property, or you're getting both. Yeah, yeah, just no, just the mark, just the mortgage. Okay, the mortgage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you have no rights to the property whatsoever until um, you know either you foreclose or you get a deed back from the borrower. Um, those are the the two options typically. Okay, so is this kind of this is different than like doing the tax lien business where you're you're taking the lien and then you you foreclose later. This is different than that, right? Um, yeah, it's actually yes, yeah, similar similar to a tax okay. lien okay. investing. So you you buy you you're buying a lien, and yeah. if you know you want to make sure you're buying a first mortgage. But there's a lot of people that do seconds. Um, I typically just um, stick with first. I've got a few seconds in the portfolio, but they kind of came with pools of. of, of of, uh, yeah, we're going to buy, but uh, yeah, it's very similar. So you buy, you're buying the mortgage. It has the lien on the property, yeah, and that therefore gives you the right to foreclose. Well, do whatever you want yeah. with it, really. Um, so, like the number one strategy is to try to get the borrower to re-engage and try to get Form. them to reinstate them, yeah. and you know, start making payments again. So that's that's always the number one strategy that we, we try to go with, and that's just like very very tail end where it's like. A month away from foreclosure and it's like almost uh, a lost cause at that point in time where the borrowers probably just given up and it's like well my house is gonna get foreclosed on but if you buy it early enough in the process then you can you know you can uh, use that option as well so there's there's that option where um, you get them to reinstate some some amount some kind of good faith deposit put down and then they start making payments again and oh, and I should mention, so yeah. we when we buy these, you can buy them at a discount to their face value typically because they're, um, you know, a lot of times they're underwater, so the mortgage might be worth more than the property. So you can buy these at a discount, and since you can get them a discount, sometimes, oftentimes, you can actually pass that discount onto the borrower. So if they're paying, let's say, I'm just going to round up. Just do an example, yeah. Yeah, so they're 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 paying a thousand dollars a month. Um, you buy it at a discount. You might be able to offer, say, you know, can you do seven hundred dollars a month? Um, you know, well, first thing you want to f figure out is why, uh, you know, why haven't they been paying so long? Is it, uh, you know, job loss? Is it health reasons? Is it divorce? Like, you know, there's a whole myriad of reasons why people um, stop paying their mortgage. And, you don't find uh, that until you've already bought the mortgage, right? You don't. No, no, no. <laughs> so you're you're you uh, you're not allowed to make contact with any borrowers whatsoever before before you buy in these. But uh, so yeah, once the you know, in half the battle in those businesses trying to make in contact, uh, a lot of these people just kind of put their head in the sand. Hopefully you're going to go away. But if, if and when you do make contact, um, you just kind of figure out, hey, what, you know, we can't do nothing. Like, we can't just sit here and let you live for free still. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the way I look at it is a rental business. You know, if you, you've got a rental and uh, people stop paying rent, I don't think you, you as a landlord are going to let them live there for very much longer uh, if they're not paying rent. So I, I kind of look at it as the same you know, same type of business, right? Um, so, you know, if, if they come back and say, yeah, I, you know, I was working, um, I was making X amount a year, now I'm making this much. You say, okay, well, how much can you afford to pay then? So then you know, we'll make some kind of uh, uh, arrangement on uh, them making a lower payment. Or sometimes, you know, they, they might even be able to pay more. So yeah, I, I lost my job a year or two ago. I've got a new job now, I'm making more money. I just didn't know who to, uh, to pay because oftentimes these loans get sold from, banks to hedge funds to other hedge funds and there's what are called loan servicers in the u.s where um, it's not like the big banks in canada where you know they typically you, you remit your payments to them 
Um, they're loan servicers that act on behalf of the, the debt holders. And sometimes these, these loans get changed hands so many times that these people just give up and just like, I, I don't even know who to pay anymore. So that, 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 that does happen fairly often. It's, it's actually fairly, uh, it's fairly frequent. That, uh, that, that happened to me, actually. It was like one of my, in my first year down there and yeah. uh, I bought the property and they took all my ACH automatic setup payment stuff and uh, the note got sold and then sold. And I would, they told me, oh, it'd probably be a month or two until they first start taking the first payments. They got to th month three and I was yeah. like, called my mortgage broker. I'm like, they haven't taken any money out. Like, should I be doing this? And then gee, he's like, I'll look into it. My note was sold three times and they yeah. didn't pass the ACH withdrawal forms and I had to catch right. up, which wasn't a big deal, but for, yeah, I could see how it easily could slip by without you noticing, especially if you're like, whatever, I'm not going to pay it. For me, I didn't want to go into foreclosure. I didn't want to be on the list. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to get caught up right away, yeah. but I, <laughs> mine was a complete accident. Like I just, I'm like, I was new and I was like, Oh, this is one of my first mortgages. I'm like, where the heck is a payment? Shouldn't it be coming out of my account? But right, anyway, right, right. total sidetrack, but yeah, it just yeah, can no, totally no, happen. No, that's, that's a good example right there. So like, yeah, it can happen to anybody really. So and yeah. like you were a paying customer. So you can imagine people haven't paid in a year or two or even five and then the loan gets sold three, four times. They're like so far gone at that point. Like, yeah. I have no idea where you pay anymore. But, uh, but yeah, that does happen. And um, so yeah, getting back onto um, well, these people, you know, if they've, if they've got uh, some kind of income, then we'll do, um, put them on a, like a called a trial payment plan for the first little bit say, okay, you make X amount of payments, we'll do a loan modification and we'll take your $1,000 a month payment and we'll permanently turn it into a $700 payment. And then sometimes if the, you know, if the loan's underwater, like let's say the property's worth uh, 100,000 and the mortgage is 120,000, we'll, uh, we'll chop 20,000 off the mortgage or even a little bit more so that they've got some equity built up into, uh, you know, right from the get-go and it gives them a bit more incentive to pay. So, so, so that's, that's one option. The, um, Another couple of options are if the property's uh, underwater, we can do a short sale. I know you had an episode on short sales not too long ago. Yep. Um, so we are now the bank, so we can make decisions really quickly to say, yeah, we'll approve the price. It doesn't have to go through 20 people's uh, different signatures and all the red tape through the, the big banks. So you know we can get those pushed through very, very quick. Um, another option is a deed in lieu. So if they just say, they just say, listen, I don't want this property. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I've got nothing but bad memories here. Yeah, I'll sign it over. Um, and then sometimes in that option, we'll give what's called a cash for keys. So similar to, you know, if you're trying to get a tenant out and you know, yep. sometimes be in trouble. Some say, listen, I'll throw you a few bones your way to uh, vacate the property. Um, so that, you know, that's usually a bit of an incentive that helps them to pay for moving expenses and have a, or maybe even a first person last down on a new property kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. and then, then I, you know, and then foreclosure is kind of like the last, last resort. If people just stick their head in their sand, they don't respond. Sometimes that's the only option you're left with. So it's, um, you know, unfortunate we have to have to do that. But, um, so I would say, I would say in about 50% of the cases, we take the property back either through a deed or foreclosure. And then the other 50% are um, the people start paying again and, you led me to a bunch of questions so first of all short sales i i tackled it from the investor perspective but you're the bank so yeah <clears throat> how does this work exactly so for them the way i'm picturing it is like the owner occupant 
is going to be putting the property up for sale or do you put the property up for sale and then you're willing to take a short on it and then the the uh the tenant owner or i guess not tenant but owner occupied person they're they're willing to take a short on it and like how, how does it go like can you you're not initiating the sale like usually the tenant is, or the i'm used to tenants the owner occupant is initiating the the sale of the property yeah so it's it's them that well you have to kind of encourage them like yeah. give that as an option so our loan servicers are the ones that reach out and say listen here's they'll give a list of options kind of what i just ran through okay. um not so many words like usually big long letters like here's it's called loss mitigation here's here's your option yep. one of them would be a short a short sale <clears throat> so that borrower would have to agree to list the property in that case um I usually like to make sure it's our preferred realtor that's doing it, um, yep. especially a realtor that knows how to do a short sale because there's a lot of different uh, forms and what have you that, that they need to have done um, and un to understand the process. So it's basically the borrower is just cooperating to sell the property and they're the ones that, um, yeah, I guess you could say they quasi-initiate it. So it's kind of yeah, like a... Yeah. Um, yeah. on both our behalf but um but they're the ones you know it's just like a traditional sale at that point they have to cooperate with the uh, the realtor and anybody potential buyers coming through and have you and then once an offer comes in then yeah the offer gets sent to sent to us to approve it and if we approve it then yeah it's just like a typical sale at that point really so excellent and then what like for a foreclosure um because you said maybe half is going well not half of the half is going to the, the foreclosure sort of area. Um, what's the cost of the foreclosure and how does that sort of process look like? Cause you physically have to get someone to remove the people from the, the building possibly, right? Potentially. Yes. So, yeah. so a foreclosure is, um, so depending on the state, so there's what's known as judicial foreclosures and there's non-judicial foreclosures in the U S um, I can't remember what the breakdown is. I think it's 22 or non-judicial and then the rest are judicial. And okay. don't take my word on that. It might be flip-flopped. But so if it's a judicial foreclosure, you have to go through the court system in order to to get this, um, you know, carried out through the end. So judicial, judicial foreclosures tend to be a lot longer. Um, they're n never less than a year, say, like 10 months to a year is like the very, very minimum that uh, it takes to get these things pushed through. You need an attorney to do it. Well, you need an attorney to do a foreclosure regardless, but you need an attorney that's you know well versed in uh, navigating the, the local courts. And yeah. usually, you want you want an attorney that's licensed in the state to do it for you. Um, and those are those tend to be more expensive because they get uh, they're pushed out longer, and you know everything's got to go for the court system. So judicial foreclosure with so the attorney fees are usually started about 2,500 bucks to 3,000, but then there's court costs on top of that. So 5,000 is kind of about the uh, going rate for judicial foreclosure, um, depending on the state, like I said. Um, and, they, and they can go up to, I'd say six, $7,000. And now that's for an uncontested foreclosure. So that's like the borrower doesn't answer or they just like say, yes, I'm, yes, I agree. I'm five years behind on my payments and I have no defense kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's for uncontested. If they contest it, it could run into like tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so then there's the non-judicial foreclosure and that's basically entails basically publishing in the local newspaper. Like it's so old school, like okay. <laughs> <laughs> newspaper anymore to say, Hey, my house is going to get up for, going up for foreclosure. 
So it, it, depending on the, again, the state and, and even sometimes the county, um, it gets uh, published in the local paper for three to six weeks, whatever the case may be. Um, and then there's a bunch of notices that have to go out that have to be, you know, like serviced upon the, uh, the homeowner. So a non-judicial foreclosure could take as little as like 90 days. Like there's really, really quick foreclosure states like Texas and Georgia. Um, and then some of them run up to like six, seven, eight months. But so non-judicial, you could typically get through within well less than a year anyway. And uh, those costs are usually around 3000 I would say. So yeah, your, your typical foreclosure, depending on non-judicial digitals, anywhere from three to 7000 on a uncontested basis. Yeah. Okay, so if someone wanted to get into the foreclosure business, or even just they're just like, for me, I'm always like, oh, if you're going to start brand new into this, why not pick a, an ideal place to do it? So yeah. if you're starting in this, you might want to just search for non-judicial foreclosure states, right? And then get your list yeah. and then um, like, then go into your, oh, what's landlord friendly? What's this? And you just keep cutting it down to you find your, yeah. your perfect haven <laughs> to go do this. <laughs> right, right, right. That's the way yeah, I preach it anyway. I always hear about these people investing, Canadians investing in these terrible states. And I'm just like, yeah. why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I, I've got a, bunch, a couple states where I'm like, why am I in the state? I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but it, it actually it, it boils down to supply and demand as well for these notes. Like, as um, niche as of a business that, that it is, is. There's been a lot of newcomers in the last couple of years, and you know, I'll somewhat admit I'm kind of a newcomer, I guess, like in yeah. the grand scheme of things. Um, like I started in 2015 doing just just note investing. Well, I started dabbling into it 2015, and then yeah. just kind of time 2017. So really, only been into it like three, four years. So I'm you know a relatively newcomer, but there's been a boatload of people come after me. So the uh, there's a lot of competition and uh, not a lot of supply right now. So they, they, there's a bit of an imbalance. So the, the pricing for these things, you know, I, I'm looking back to like, you know, I started buying foreclosures. I'm like, oh, here I go again. Like yeah, yeah. I started buying the foreclosures where I was getting some relatively good deals. And then in a short period of time, like, you know, the demand went way up and the supply went way down. So now there's a bit of an imbalance in pricing. So it's actually getting tougher and tougher and tougher to find, find deals in this business especially in non-judicial states because everybody wants non-judicial because it's quick for closure uh, and uh, take yeah. a property over for what they need to. So, you know, that's yeah. true. And you, every time you go against the grain and you pick the more difficult way to do it, like if you want to go buy like tax deeds in Ohio, it's a little bit more difficult than other states because I looked yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that means there's less competition because a lot of investors that are just going to pick wherever aren't going to pick that market. Right, right. Yeah. So. Well, in Ohio, you need to have like a certain, it's, I can't remember how many loans you need to buy or how many yes. uh, yeah. you need to buy, but it's like a certain threshold uh, minimum investment. Yeah. I have a sheet on it right around here. I just was moving my papers around before and I'm like, where did it go? I had all the details on it. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it doesn't matter anyway. But <clears throat> yeah, so you um, do you create notes as well or you just buy these notes? You, you mentioned something about that earlier. Yeah, so um, so when we take these properties back from foreclosure, um, sometimes, so the biggest risk in this business is you can't see the property either, right? Um, you know, it's just like buying a foreclosure, you can't see the inside of it. So when you're buying the mortgage, you can't see the inside of it. You can get drive-bys done, you can get 
like there, there's some services out there now that'll do like aerial uh, drone images so you can see if there's a, a back wall on the property. Yeah. And that does happen. Like there's oh my a big God. hole in the back. Yeah, there are holes in the roof in the back. Like I, <laughs> I haven't got this property back and we're going to Dean Lou in Pennsylvania. It's in the middle of nowhere. And um, I found it was vacant. So when it's vacant, you're actually allowed to have the property secured so you can have a, a contractor go in and uh, change the locks and make sure that. You know, if there's any missing windows, you have it boarded up to, you know, yep. so it doesn't yep. cause any more damage. Well, this one particular property looked looked okay from the front. wasn't the best looking property. A little bit overgrown. Man, I couldn't believe when they got in. The ceiling had collapsed in the back. The roof was caving in. There was a big hole between like this big uh, sliding glass window and and like there's nothing there. Like just a hole. Like he can walk through it. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, yeah. So that happens. Um, you know, more more times than not. Um, uh, but where I'm going with this is sometimes. So the biggest risk is uh, trying to value these properties in an as-is condition, and that that's one of the toughest part of this business. Is okay, you know, if the you know nine times out of ten, if these people aren't paying their mortgage, oftentimes they're not paying their taxes. They're not putting money into the property either because they they just like, well, I'm probably going to lose it anyway. And if they have no income, you know, there a lot of people are just scraping by the by the skin of their teeth, so they're definitely not putting money into these properties. Um, so yeah, it's a very fine art on trying to value these. So fairly often you'll take one back and it's like, oh man, that <laughs> this thing is not worth nearly as much as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So you can either sell it as is and you know try to recoup as much as you can, or oftentimes a, a good option is to sell it on owner financing or as a um, holding holding note on it. Um, usually it's better to sell it to an investor that's going to buy it as you know, an investment property and fix it up and flip it or as a rental. Uh, yeah. but you know, the odd time you can get a homeowner in there. That's uh, like, if that's handy, have them walk through the property and say, listen, you're buying this as is like, we're not fixing anything whatsoever. And, but we'll hold the mortgage for you. Like, you know, you probably can't get a mortgage, but we'll still qualify them. Um, so they, they got to have to have some. In order to get qualified, they have to have some sort of income to prove that they can make the payments. And there's a whole process that you have to go through. It's under the Dodd Frank. I'm sure you've probably heard that term before. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's like a the ability to make or the ability to repay. I think I can't remember the exact terminology, but to, so they they get put through a mortgage loan originator to make sure that they can make these payments. I mean, their credit could be like in the 400s for all yeah. we care. But if they've got the income um, and a little bit of money to put down, then yeah, we'll, we'll uh, make the case for uh, do a seller financing deal. Um, and depending on the state, we'll either do a traditional note mortgage um, or do a land contract, which. Yeah. Um, so these people are already the owners of the house because that would be the reason why to do um, seller financing rather than do a lease option or uh, a land contract, right? Um, no, we never do it to the borrowers like the people that are in the house. So you will the, put a new person in, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, because it's like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? If That's tough, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I was like, oh, yeah. man, like, if they didn't pay them, are they going to really pay you, or they'll just pay you for a little bit? This is what was running yeah, through yeah. my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I learned that mistake. Yeah, I learned that mistake a couple of years ago. It was, uh, it was one I took back, um, took the property back, or was going to take it back, and then they... They got foreclosed on. There actually was a land contract, so there's a bit of a nuance. So land contract is kind of like owner finance, but yep. you still own property, like you've got legal title to it. Yep. Um, so it's almost 
quasi rent to own, and then there's like a traditional mortgage where you sell the property to them, but you're you're holding it. So in this particular case, uh, the the people we um, and the, the, so the benefit of a land contract is you don't actually have to foreclose depending on the state and depending how long they've been in the, they've been in the property. You can just basically do an ejection. So it's almost like it, it's almost yeah. like a rental. So you just, yeah. it takes a little bit longer because it's got to go through the course. But um, in this particular case, um, and they're also have, sorry to cut you off, but they are also on title, so it's easier for the the tenant or person who lives in the property to qualify for the loan because it shows a history. That they've been there with, with a land contract. I, I can do a podcast um, yeah. on, on land contracts. Sometimes yeah. it's a little easier for them to qualify because it's so have they have a little bit more history than just being a tenant. Yeah, yeah. yeah the history, yeah. So, but in this particular case, um, <laughs> we took, took it back, got it for four, uh, it's called a forfeiture. Um, um, so, at very last minute for getting them evicted, they said, okay, listen, we've got, a, I don't know, it was like X amount of dollars to put down. Would you consider doing another land contract? So, resold it to them and uh they put 10 percent down i think it was did a new uh, purchase price it was basically the same purchase price they already had and uh, they paid for like three months and then same thing they just stopped paying it's like oh here we go again <laughs> round number two <laughs> like never do that again oh, yeah so. yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's always it's always ideal to get someone new in that um you know let well and i heard you say way back when we were talking foreclosure at the start you said uh before you make them a deal is to get them paying again first and then you know you can do a reduction and whatever but you know start yeah. getting some sort of history don't just offer them a discount <laughs> right off the start no no i mean that's that's kind of like a last resort like if they do have some income but they have no money to put down we'll put them on a, like i said it's called a trial payment plan for three to six months and see if they start making payments and then once they've hit that or even 12 months depending on um um, you know, if they put any money down or not. And if, if they put some money down or some skin in the game, we might uh, roll them into a loan modification after three to six months. But if they don't have anything, we'll say, listen, okay, we'll give you a reduced payment. We want 12 months of consistent payments again before we do a loan mod. So the reason there's a difference between a trial payment plan and a loan modification is you're taking that promissory note and you're modifying it into a new promissory note so it's called a loan modification yeah. and they're not cheap because you need either your service has to do it but typically you have an attorney draft it up and uh you know they're usually they're not that expensive but they're four or five hundred bucks but that becomes the new term for that mortgage for the rest of the mortgage term so you want to make sure that these people are definitely going to pay because you do a loan mod and they you yeah. know they yeah. bail out on it it's like you know, basically at that point, it's kind of foreclosed or, yeah, so, um, but there's, there's some, I, I've got a couple that uh, they've had two or three loan mods and, you know, after second, I guess, third time's a charm, some of them playing like clockwork, so. <laughs> and you mentioned attorneys. Um, so when you're creating these brand new notes, are you doing this yourself or are you hiring someone for this? Would oh, you... no, no, definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> There's lots of templates like the Fannie, yeah. Fannie Mae uh, has a template that you actually produce your own, what have you. But no, we um, we use a, a mortgage loan originator that uh, produces all the documents, and then usually we go through a title company to uh, to do like a, a traditional closing, unless it's a land contract. So if it's a land contract, um, that is kind of like the trial basis. So we'll do a line can a land contract if um, you know the state allows it first of all and. Yeah, there's a few other nuances, but yeah. if I 
a little bit concerned about if they don't put any money down or they only put like a thousand or two thousand dollars down i'll do a land contract if they've got the income to back it up yeah. but if they're putting say five thousand dollars down and they've got some pretty credible credible income to back it up then we'll do a no mortgage right off the bat because they've got some skin in the game but if it's just a small amount then we'll start off a land contract and if they pay for 12 months then we'll turn so you can actually do a conversion to a traditional note mortgage where you know you do the the sale of the property to them and they they take ownership at that point yeah so. man and like you said man do some research on your land contracts because there's a lot of states that don't allow it now and there's a lot of states it's really frowned upon yeah. <laughs> and you can Google it, or even if you just mention you're one of the Facebook groups for like that city and you or that state, and you type in like I'm looking to do a land contract. Anyone having? You'll have people jump all over you if it's not allowed. Yeah. I actually. Glenn, be careful, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know they're 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 getting less happy with it. Um, yeah. Chad, this was awesome. I like. I wrote like all kinds of notes, but I, they're all like a word or two. So I could probably spin this into like, you know, we could do like 10 interviews and have you here all day. But um, yeah. <laughs> if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure you'll put the, uh, my name in the, the notes, uh, LinkedIn. I'm on a bunch of different Facebook groups, but my uh, company's called Equa Growth Capital. That's E-Q-U-I-G-R-O-W-P-H capital uh, you google that um uh, email let's talk about that we'll, we'll give you like you know the 60 second spin talk uh, about what your company does for people and what do you, what do, you do oh, okay so yeah that's what my company does is we buy distressed mortgages throughout yep. the most of the u.s and uh try to convert them back into paying customers again and then if not then we take the properties back through foreclosure deed and lieu and uh do whatever we want the property at that point in time so that's uh, in a nutshell what the company does now. So yeah, and it's been a transition over a number of years, like I said, starting out with doing rentals and um, then buying foreclosures. And I actually did some turnkey rentals for quite some time as well. And uh, kind of like had the shiny, shiny object syndrome for quite some time until I stumbled upon the note business and uh, just, yeah, I've been doing that solid ever since. And uh, yes, yeah, definitely not a, uh, <laughs> Easy business, but it's uh, you know it's fairly profitable if you know what you're doing. Um, yep. but, you know, there's also a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, headaches along the way, and I've taken my lumps along the way as well. So, but that you know they're all chalk off the learning experiences. So. That, that, you know exactly. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Chad. I like really appreciate this. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me so much.